This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is one of the world's great adventurers. Most of those adventures have been on his own, all at sea. In fact, uh, he's just come back from his 11th solo circumnavigation around the world. Uh, and he's done this uh, while he's uh, in his 80s. Not that I'm being ageist. Uh, Hello and welcome to John Sanders. I mean, there's so much more to get through. The first person uh, in the world to do a double circumnavigation. Not content with that. A few years later, you embarked on a triple solo circumnavigation. You've held dozens of Guinness records uh, over the years. Uh, I doubt we'll even get to go through all of them, but I'm looking forward to hearing all about the life and times of the amazing John Sanders. Hello, John. How are you? Thank you. Good. Thanks. You've just come back from your 11th trip yep. around the globe. Yep. Uh, this one had a, uh, a special mission attached to it as well, though, didn't it? You were collecting uh, samples yep. from oceans samples. and seas all around the world, looking at the, the prevalence of microplastics. Yeah. Microplastics. How are you anyway? Good. Are you good? To, Excellent. Good being back on, on yeah, dry land? Yep. Yeah. And well, you'll ask me, am I going to go again? Probably not, but I'm not going to say but You said that after your tent, though, didn't you? Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then thought, what the hell, I'll go again. Yep. Um, tell me about this 11th trip, though, because you had the extra <laughs> curly one in there as well of this thing called COVID, yeah, well, uh, which I can only imagine made your your navigating and, you know, the, the, the itinerary a little more complicated, yeah? Uh, it was complicated. To begin with, I went to Mauritius. People flew in, uh, some Milot, then Cape Town, pretty normal stop. Then uh, St. Helena, mi- middle of the South Atlantic, I'm on my way, the COVID's breaking out. I'm getting messages to say that you're in the safest place in the world, the best place in the world. And I went to St Martin because I had a friend there. I had a bit of a problem with my batteries. He could fix that on my way to the British Virgin Islands. That's all up there in the Caribbean. Uh, St Martin is a population of the Dutch side, French side. The Dutch side's uh, premier is called prime minister. The French side's premier is called prefect. Uh, St Martin, a population of 40,000, had massive tourism yeah. from China, from Europe, from Holland, and, of course, the virus got into it. So yeah. the population of 40,000 people at that time was probably the most contagious place in the world, or one of, wow. and that's where I arrived. <laughs> and the Prime Minister of uh, St Martin, Dutch St Martin, locked the place down, closed it down, and the authorities back in Europe sort of said, you can't do that, you'll offend people. So there's a similarity between a Caribbean Prime Minister and a West Australian Premier mm. locking the place down. Mm. 
Um, what an extraordinary place to, to pull up. And I mean, of all the things you've had to endure in your many trips uh, around the world, this must have been one of the most unexpected for you. It was certainly uh, one of the most unexpected. Uh, but it was not unpleasant because Dutch, uh, uh, Dutch Martin, yeah. Dutch Caribbean, it's a good place to be anyway. Yeah, uh, they did have a semi-lockdown, then a real lockdown of two weeks, and a semi-lockdown, and then continued. Even when I could leave the island, there was nowhere to go. Not mm. even Panama, Panama Canal, because they weren't accepting yachts my size through the canal. Yeah, well, I mean, we had problems here, of course, with cruise ships coming in, but uh, your little vessel, uh, you know, by comparison, uh, I imagine you would have been frozen out of lots of places. Everywhere. Uh, along your journey. Yep. Yeah. So how did, I mean, did you at one, at any point think, gosh, where am I going to go from here? No, I just kept going. Well, I've got patience and time. Obviously. Um, and I wasn't overspending a lot of cash. Uh, the boat was sponsored, the gear was sponsored, but I was supposed to meet my own uh, means like food on board and uh, more importantly, anything you do ashore. Mm. Uh, but Andrew Forrest, or the Mindaroo Foundation, who were the major sponsor, did say something should happen somewhere about the world. We will find you. Yeah. I suppose these days it's easier to keep track of you, isn't it, with yep. all the technology now at, at your disposal. Um, speaking of um, of the, the presence of the Mindaroo Foundation on your latest voyage, one of your uh, missions along the way was to collect uh, samples of water, um, looking at the amount of microplastics uh, in various parts uh, of the world's oceans uh, and and waterways. W what did you discover on your uh, on your travels? Every day, uh, I would take uh, approximately a hundred liters of water, a little bit more than water, pump it through filters, and then I would take the filters out. And eventually, when I got to ports where I could air freight it back home, I would send them back home, yeah. one port after the other, where I could, where it was reliable. Was this your, your reason to go, or were you going to go anyway? Uh, no, I, I thought I would go, but I think I should have a good purpose in it. And my manager, who brought me in here today, uh, he organised it with the Mindaroo Foundation. Yeah. And I had had a, uh, a long-distance, way-back attachment to Mindaroo and a little bit the family as well, Yeah, through my family. And what's what's come from those samples that you've collected? What have you been able to determine? Well, at the uh, at the moment, the Curtin University has it. Uh, they're sampling them. Some areas there's quite quite a lot. Uh, most of it wasn't much at all. Some hardly any at all. But mm. it's a baseline for micro samples. And eventually, when it's all completed, all their research, they will come out with that result, and that mm. will be public. The Mineru Foundation will make it public. Okay. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Just from your own observations over the years, though, John, I mean, you know, you've seen more of the ocean than just about anyone. Um, have you noticed, is there is there just more stuff out there drifting around than, well, than there was 30, 40 years ago? Uh, I've certainly been places like Indonesia. Uh, we often joke on uh, Direction Island in the Cocos Islands that there are just thongs washed I've seen up that. everywhere. Yeah, the, but they're all, all the single thongs. Yeah. You can't get a pair. No. Uh, however, an awful lot of the area that I go in sailing, I don't see much at all. Seriously, don't see much at all. It seems pretty clear. Yeah. And Australia, our south coast, because it's not tropical, no, no huge uh, population area, no huge rivers running down from population areas, is a pretty clean place. And Australians overall are pretty clean, mm. despite Sydney Harbour. 
but uh, overall we're pretty good people and we'll probably get better. Yeah, Sydney Harbour's a bit filthy, is it? Uh, no, but it's well known for its yeah. collection and they're getting better. Yeah. In fact, I think they're good too. Yeah. Um, what are the sort of striking memories uh, for you from this 11th trip around the world then? What do you sort of take away as your, your primary memories of it? Well, it was another voyage, of course, but it was so different. Yeah. And also out of season, uh, became out of season simply because uh, of the lockdown after lockdown after mm. lockdown. Uh, but I seemed to get through it all. And I had some pretty uh, powerful people behind me, including the Australian government, uh, to get me through the Panama Canal, for example. Mm. Um, yeah, so what happened there? I mean, did, did phone calls at a high level had to take place, did they, to uh, get you through? When I, uh, <coughs> when I got to Panama... I had another two-week lockdown, Panama being Panama after I'd done my two-week lockdown. They didn't know I had arrived, but <laughs> even though they told me to yeah. lock myself down. However, they soon picked that up. Uh, it was a worry, but it was okay. Yeah. And the honorary uh, Australian consul there at that end of the Panama Canal organised a completely COVID-free crew because yeah. I've got to have manhandlers on board to be on board the boat. Yeah. Likewise with the Panama gov- uh, government with the pilot on board. Mm. So I went through the canal pretty safe and safely on to um, Tahiti. Is that, I mean, it sounds idyllic, all these places that you're reeling off here. Yeah. Um, when you're in quarantine, though, are you allowed to serve that out on the boat or do you have to get on land and, and do it up? Oh, you no, know, on the a, boat. Oh, you're on the boat? Yep. At least, at least you're in familiar territory. I am indeed, yes. and uh, it's not as though I'm not uh, by myself, not so bad. And you were, of course, able to have supplies and provisions brought yeah. out and put on. Yeah. John, you, you must enjoy your own company, being lost in your own thoughts in your own head. I'm pretty used to that. I'm one of those sort of people. Yeah. I uh, get along very well with myself, but I also have a crew. I've done quite a lot of ocean races, single-handed to, say, Cape Town, done Cape Town to Rio de Janeiro race, uh, done that three times that's uh south transatlantic with the crew they're my friends so yeah. i enjoy that too yeah but at other times i'm completely by myself i mean just, some way. people some people can't handle their own company for more than five minutes so that tell you're the you're the exact opposite <laughs> <laughs> maybe they know themselves pretty well mm. yeah. uh, I mean, when you're out on the on the boat and you know things are things are quiet there's not much wind i mean what are you doing do you do you put some music on do you do a crossword. Uh, a little bit. Is there always uh, something to do? I'm ne- never ever bored. Yeah. It's always something to do. And you can be a little bit lazy too. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. I mean, um, have you got internet access at all times when you're um, out there? Can you sit there and just surf the web for well, a while? a lot of times you can be a little bit uh, tired because uh, you don't sleep all night. You get up, have a look around, mm. sleep, get up. When it's a uh, pretty empty, vacant ocean... Uh, I uh, now with the latest electron, um, le- electronics available to you, uh, I know if there's any other craft or vessel around, uh, yeah, or done by satellite. Yeah, well, at least you've got things to amuse yourself now. Um, so many adventures, uh, other adventures I want to uh, talk to you about as well, including your first uh, double circumnavigation in the '80s, and then. As I mentioned, not content with that, you went for a triple uh, a few years after. We need to take a break, though, John. We'll be back with that right after this. Back in a sec. This is Inspiring Stories. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. 
Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My special guest in this episode uh, is the sailor John Sanders. Uh, hard to think of anyone who could match his record when it comes to uh, cruising uh, the open seas uh, of this planet Earth. Uh, John, as I mentioned, you've just come back from your 11th solo circumnavigation, but let's go right back to the days uh, you as a young man, uh, before you started notching up all these amazing records, uh, you spent a lot of your time shearing sheep. Uh, I had to earn a living. Yeah. When I was 16 years of age. Yeah. I wasn't the brightest kid at school. So you finished school? Yeah. And then what did you think you were going to do? Well, I actually worked for Elder Smith & Co Limited. Yeah. And they used to send the boys away to um, out in pastoral runs mm-hmm. uh, simply for experience because eventually we'd need to be world-class to work in their wool stores Yeah. Uh, as technicians in their wool stores. Yeah. So sheep shearing was your next adventure. That must have taken you to some... Some fun places uh, around the around WA. Well, I was actually uh, a shearer's shed hand, yeah, uh, picking up fleeces and uh, throwing them on the table. Mindaroo Station, for example, that's Andrew Forrest Station yeah. now was then, and was his father's and his grandfather's before then. Uh, but I was a wool classer actually, yeah. only wool classer. Yeah, not too good at shearing. So is this is this pure coincidence that you had an association with Mindaroo back then, and and you have now recently? Uh, it may well be that when uh, Dr. Stephen Davis, my manager, uh, approached Mindaroo or Andrew, that uh, Dr. Davis already knew I had been there yeah. and that Andrew may have remembered, and definitely his father would have remembered, because mm. I was often a guest up there in his homestead when I worked there. Yeah. Uh, little did you know. <laughs> no. Back then, <laughs> many no. years later. I didn't plot or plan it. No. no. All I suddenly found I was. Do you remember a, a young Twiggy on the property back then? Oh, basically just a small boy. I yeah. can remember his older brother who'd be about four or five years older, I suppose. So yeah. I can remember that. So tell me when the first time you fell in love with, you know, being on a boat, being out on the water. Do you remember that, that uh, moment? Always, because my father was an academic at the University of Western Australia. Yep. Professor across the road had a boat. He used to take myself and his children out sailing. Uh, I had a dinghy at the age of 14. I could sail. I never raced it. Used to sail it up and down. My brother used to race it, but I wouldn't. Uh, when I got a bit older, I started, I bought a bigger boat because I could afford to a little bit. Yep. And then I started to race at a Royal Perth Yacht Club. Yep. But I was never really a proper dinghy, dinghy sailor. But I went on to buy uh, my boats that I could race in the ocean. Yeah. Or more especially, sail in the ocean. Yeah. Um, just just on your, your, your mum and dad, you, you mentioned your dad there, a professor at, uh, at UWA. Uh, your mum, a teacher and, and novelist who wrote yep. uh, many books yeah. uh, uh, under a different uh, name. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of a, About what sort of a household was it? Yeah, 40, under the name of uh, Lucy Walker. Yeah, that was the mother's maiden name. Yeah. Uh, she said that's a mistake because all books are stacked. Uh, commercially in alphabetic order because yeah. W way at the end of the list. Not that that ever mattered. She sold an awful lot. She yeah. didn't get my, something like a farthing a book way back in those days. Yeah. Even though she sold 10 million in the United States amongst other places. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, so I, I'm just trying to just imagine where this adventurous spirit took hold of, you know, the young John Stan, John Sanders. Mum's a, well, a, a novelist. You know, I imagine <laughs> someone who's probably lost in their own head a lot of the time. Uh, Dad's an academic. Um, where did this 
where did this idea of becoming a, a great adventurer take hold, John? Uh, <clears throat> probably lost in his own head. Actually, I don't have a wild imagination like that. I just seem to happen to come across it. That's a good idea. Why don't I do it? Because it can. Um, way back there in those days, I'd do a little bit, little bit more, and then I realised, well, if I can do this, why can't I go further? Yeah. Uh, had heard that others can. Yeah. I always say to people, if you, now if you can sail to Rottnest by yourself, yeah. well, you can go to Mauritius too if you want to. Yeah. yeah. They find that hard to believe. And then keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So w- when you're in the, sh- the, the shearing sheds, are, are you, you know, I imagine it's, it's, it's pretty hot, pretty tough work. I think. Is your mind all the time was, going, I, I've got to uh, set sail, I've got to uh, go and see the world? Well, um, I started off as a shearer's shed hand. Yep. I didn't go back to Aldersmith. I stayed in the shearing teams and quite quickly became a wool classer, quite quickly got my own contracts, and I worked like that for 20 years. I had one family in particular uh, who more or less started up with me, so after 20 years, instead of selling it as most normal people would do, I gave it to the family, mm. and that was good. I went sailing then. Yep. Uh, thereafter, I didn't have much of an income. Yeah. So, so, so tell me your first trip around, around the globe. Uh, tell me the circumstances then. How old were you? How did you fund it? What did you expect? Well, I'm, I always reckon I'm slow at everything. <laughs> so I was sailing, just doing local ocean races yep. in my own boat as mm-hmm. I got a more seaworthy boat to do that. Then I kept reading about this Cape Town to Rio de Janeiro race from Cape Town, South Africa to uh, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And so I decided to do that. And that was a circumnavigation of the world part of which I did uh, single-handed, part of which with crew. Thereafter, every other voyage I made was mostly single-handed, yeah. except I also did three Cape Down to Rio races, so mm. I had a crew during those races. Do you like having a crew or do you prefer being out there on your own? I, I like having a crew, but um, I've also delivered a lot of people's boats, trans-ocean, yeah. international, and a bigger boat is good with a crew because mm. they've got their own cabins and toilets and yeah. showers. Whereas my boat's a little bit small. little pokey. You put up with the same people <laughs> week after week, month after month. You'd get to know people pretty well, wouldn't you? Yeah. In, in ways that you maybe yeah. maybe wouldn't want to know them so it's, well. It's nice having them there, but I think you need a bit of space. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been out at sea with a crew and think, I actually don't like you very much. I can't wait until you get off and I don't have to see you again. No. Um, most of my crew have been very, very good. Most of those I've sailed with have been very, very good. There might be one who doesn't like me much, but then <laughs> you can't get on with everyone in the world. You, but you can try. Yeah. Um, 1982, yeah. Uh, I suppose the first of your uh, real standout records. Uh, you set sail uh, to not just do one lap around the globe, but uh, a double circumnavigation, 48,000 miles. You're at sea for 419 days, which is a long time by anyone's measure. Uh, what are your memories of that? Yeah, well, um, that was in my SNS 34, 34 feet. Yep. Uh, it really isn't big enough to carry provision for more than 400, 400 days. So I decided I would go around the southern end of the world mm-hmm. and then stop off Tasmania for uh, to be resupplied. That is, by stop at sea. Pick up some nice wine and, and cheese. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> whatever it was. Uh, be resupplied at sea, then continue on all the way to the United Kingdom, Plymouth, again resupplied without getting off the boat. So about equivalent to twice around the world on the equator. 
Well, in actual fact, uh, and that was accepted in those days by the uh, the authorities in the United Kingdom as a, a sort of a, a a record in that type of thing. Yeah. But everyone, there's always the pedantic somewhere. So they said you actually went around the bottom. That was a bit of a shortcut yeah. before you did the long one. But then years and years and years later, and I don't look up Guinness Book of Records and or more especially uh, the computer now, whatever. Um, anyhow, I did look it up one day, and I noticed I was the first person to circumnavigate Antarctica solo, and I thought, yeah. I didn't know I did that. <laughs> That's years. But apparently some Russian was going to do it, and the authorities up there in the United Kingdom and Europe said, it's said already no. done. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. There you go. We killed his dream, didn't you? I didn't know. <laughs> Talk me through just an average day when you when you when you're well on your way. You know you between you know A and B, B and C, G and A, wherever it is. You know what's what is an average day? What time do you wake up? What do you do? Uh, what time do I wake up? Uh, I get. I'm very very used to being at sea. Quite mm. happy to be at sea. Uh, I don't sleep a full eight hours or five hours or six hours or something like that. I do now at home, so I'm pretty used to that. If I'm near a coastline and sometimes I'm following a coastline, you've got to keep a lookout every 15 minutes to be safe. Yep. And every single-handed solo sailor I've spoken to all say the same. We all do 20 minutes. Mm. We don't do the 15. Uh, but you do that. But in the yard, wide open, empty space of ocean, because not, not even ships go. Yeah. Uh, they certainly cross them, but they certainly aren't all over the place scattered. Uh, you can get pretty good sleep. But even so, you get the habit of uh, I do waking up every hour or yeah. two hours, and having a gink and a look around, and going back to bed. So I'm never, I don't have a sleep problem because I fall asleep easily, but I wake up easily. Yeah, there's always something to do on the boat. Yeah, and you, because maintenance alone, is it constant maintenance? Yes, and um, and also before you leave, you have it. Uh, you may not have it the best painted in the world halfway around the world. But things that matter, like all the wires holding up your masts, your sails, yeah. and every bit of important gear, that's all working. Yeah. Self-steering gear too. You'd have to put a lot of faith in the equipment around you, wouldn't you? I mean, it's, it's, you, that's, that's what separates you from disaster. Yeah, no, you've got to leave with it. Uh, even in recent years, recent decades, I don't renew all the ringing of my uh, masts at once because it's too expensive. Yeah. But every three years I'll renew something. And it's always a mm. size up, in some cases, two mm. up. Yeah. So it should be more secure. What about food? I mean, what what, what are you eating in an average day? Um, Talk me through your meal plan. Well, of course, I've done three times around the world where I took it all, and that was simply canned food. But canned food's limited because no matter what you do, it'll begin to rust. And if rust gets into you, in, um, if a leak should happen in your can and that, but turns into quite poisonous food. You've got to be careful. Yeah. But I also had um, vacuum-packed food, uh, freeze-dried food and stuff like that, and you get used to eating it. Yeah. I just come home and have a proper meal. So so what's breakfast? Talk me through uh, what's what's breakfast and what's... Well, and... nowadays, <laughs> I, I suppose it's a bit like my age, but breakfast right now and then this last voyage almost every single day is simply hot milk with full double teaspoon of... Uh, Instant coffee, Nescafe or whatever, yeah. and I put sugar in it and I yeah. put sweeteners in it. 
and I come back skinnier. <laughs> uh, but in the early days, no, I'd have uh, cereal and the like of it. Yeah. And I'd have something for lunch and something for an evening meal. Yeah. Now, most of the time, I just now drink hot milk coffee, but it's a full mm. mug mm. most of the day. And I might have a bit of a snack, but I eat something meal time probably too much. Mm. Would you ever throw a line over the edge and see if you can uh, catch something? I have done it. I've never been super keen. Uh, uh, last trip I didn't simply because the stern of the boat is so cluttered yep. and at my age it's a bit hard to manoeuvre myself as well as, well as I once could. I did have a young bar, uh, guy when I was uh, delivering some boats. He would fish all the time yeah. and he'd p- put three lures out but only wanted to have a hook on. The others just made it look like a school of fish. He was forever pulling them in. Yeah, right. And uh, you wouldn't want to get tired of eating fish because no. that's what happened. Fresh fish. But on the other hand, I would put a line out and probably should be in Guinness Book of Records of trolling a line most thousands of miles and yeah. catching nothing. <laughs> the record that nobody wants. Yeah. Uh, John, we need to take another break, but uh, now that you've described to us your 419-day voyage, next up I'm going to ask you about your 658-day triple circumnavigation, which uh, put you again uh, in the Guinness Book of Records. This is Inspiring Stories. John Sanders is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, We are hearing all about the life and incredible achievements of sailor John Sanders. Uh, John... 1982, I mentioned you you set off for your double circumnavigation. Um, 1986, you've then gone for the the triple. Um, Why? Why did you want to push yourself even further? Uh, Hadn't been done because (laughs) I thought I could. Yep. But also I had gone around the world and I'd been reprovisioned underway. And, of course, I don't take any notice of that sort of nonsense now, but those in England, a few others say, oh, yeah, but you were reprovisioned underway. Well, no one else had done what I'd done, reprovisioned or not reprovisioned. So I thought, I'll go three times around I'll the world. show you. Anyway, yeah. and uh, the Curtin University came alongside then. Yep. Uh, that's the first time. So they gave me a few projects to do. And I guess the most major, I'm just spotting uh, whales and whatever else, but the major thing is I had, which was unique for a boat of a size I had, an echo sounder, which in those days could sound all the way to the bottom of the ocean, five mm. kilometres of water. And there was a, a couple of areas in the ocean which was consistently, because they could measure the altitude of the ocean by satellites in those days, mm-hmm. uh, it was about a metre high, but always a metre high, no matter what the sea was running, would I run over them, which I did. And sure enough, there was an undersea mountain on, on those occasions. Wow. But I had, uh, again, the uh, Curtin University together with the Royal Perth Yacht Club, managed that voyage. Yeah. And I quite liked it. I didn't mind being uh, weeks and months and more than a year at sea, but I was pleased to get home. More than a year? It was closer to two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Near two. That's a, I mean, that's a long time yeah, to I be out it is. drifting around. I'm not doing it now anyway. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, you must go through a, a roller coaster ride yourself, though, when you're out there, John. I mean, are there days when you're out there where you think, what am I doing? In the um, in that particular voyage, I got some very, very heavy gales because I went under Cape Horn each time. Because you're three times around the world and it's not the world's fastest boats in those days, 
Uh, I'm also in the Southern Oceans midwinter. Uh, I encountered very, very heavy uh, winds, very heavy sails, and the boat was quite safe because I had the gear and I set up and knew what to do in it. But the earlier voyage uh, mentioned uh, the two times around the world. I did go upside down 180 degrees in that in storm. Wow. And part of that was uh, reading some books and, and some of the advised sort of storm tactics. It was so wrong. And they obviously hadn't been out in much weather or they would have gone upside down too. Yeah. Um, mainly, well, one was just uh, take your sails or down, lie side on to the sea. That's almost a recipe for going upside down. Yeah. Uh, another time is under bare poles, running dead down winds, fine. But the boat eventually surfs on an incredibly steep wave, buries its nose into the sea, tips over. Uh, what I learned is just drag something behind. doesn't matter what you're dragging behind. Uh, the wave will overtake the boat, go right over the boat maybe, past the boat, and you continue going. I was going to ask you at the end about some of the scary things that you've yeah. encountered out there, but let's do it now because you've sort of led us there. Uh, you must have come, I mean, you, you've mentioned a couple of hairy moments there, weather-related, but in terms of the, the great challenges that you've faced out where it's just, you know, you, your boat and Mother Nature, well, and maybe some man-made challenges as well. I mean, have you come across um, pirates out there? Have you come across just just unexpected wild weather Um you know, ocean liners that turn up out of nowhere and almost clatter into you. What What are some of the really memorable, well, scary well, moments that you've you had? When you mentioned pirates, I've been uh, up through the uh, Suez Canal four yep. times. Uh, I've certainly encountered fishermen in that in the uh, Strait of Bab-Mandab. That's the entrance to the Red Sea, Aden, uh, Djibouti, uh, Somalia, that area. Uh, they could or might or might not be. Uh, I had a young guy on board, crew, and we discussed what would we do if someone came because we don't carry any weapons or arms or mm. anything like that. Uh, I would pull out the flares. So anyhow, I did have this fishing boat come alongside and coming nearer and near, and I called to Nathan down below and I said, throw out the flares. And he says, what do you want now? And I says, have a look out in it. And he said something that started with S. <laughs> uh, and he picked up the flare container. It was night time. And threw it at me and hit me in the head with it. <laughs> and I unscrewed it and the boats were alongside, but they could see me with this uh, red and orange container taking it off and then pulling out these things and didn't like the look of that yeah. and vanished. So Obviously that to them look, look like a weapon. But that's, potentially yeah, looked like yeah. something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, we couldn't have done much because then you'd have to tear all the plastic off it <laughs> and then find the end of it and then yeah. find the ring to pull it and then point it in the right direction or some yeah. direction. But, um, uh, most of the time and most of where I go is pretty safe, pretty free. Yeah. Brazil's always worried me. Come out mm. of Rio, but I always stand further out to sea and a long way further offshore, and mm. I still do that. Yeah. Uh, the Caribbean again, but then again... When I cross the Caribbean, which I've done quite a lot of times, I go to places like St. Martin I mentioned, especially the British Virgin Islands mm. and through to Panama. And I avoid uh, Venezuela, uh, Colombia and other places. Just, just, don't just go too, too scary. Like Haiti. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I always find when I talk to the others, they all dress. They say, oh, we go there for something different. or yeah. They all wear the same sort of clothes and same sort of jeans. Yeah. Some of them aren't as nice as the others. <laughs> um, I, I read somewhere that you had quite a, a close encounter with a, a pretty large boat near the Falkland Islands. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Uh, one night cold, 
uh, well, it was uh, it wasn't quite winter, but it was it certainly wasn't summer or spring. And instead of getting out of bed as regularly as I do to keep a lookout, because I knew there were fishing boats there and big fishing boats, foreign fishing boats with the license to fish from the Falkland Islands. Uh, anyhow, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, the window, of course, my yacht changed course, and I banged into the stern of that. Mm. I had two four stays, broke one four stay, broke a couple of stays, but it actually didn't do much damage at all. It just gave me a great mm. big fright and sent an awful lot of people on a fishing boat talking in some weird <laughs> wacko language at the top of their voices. Yeah. What about creatures of the ocean? Have you had close encounters uh, with any of the, the beasts of the waters? Not really. I'm pretty boring that way. Um, <laughs> Sharks and things like that, very, very... Whales. Yeah. Whales. I see more whales off the Australian coast than anywhere else. Yeah. But when I do see them mid-ocean, uh, they're a bit of a worry, but I don't see so many. Yeah. Awful lot of stuff you see off, off Australia. Yeah. It's good. When you see something like a whale, though, I mean, as majestic and beautiful as it is, I imagine they, for you, they're potentially dangerous. Uh, yes, they are. And I've hit two of them, both yeah. of them in the Atlantic Ocean, uh, on both occasions, the, uh, the poor animal uh, was bleeding lots. Uh, did no damage to me. I hope it wasn't permanent damage to them. Uh, lately, I don't seem to be hassled by them or worried by them, but I see them. I see them come quite near the boat sometimes. I've seen two uh, deliberately swimming either side of the boat, each side, and I'm also not hearing of many yacht collisions like we used to. So my theory is they're either getting used to the small boats or it could be our electronics that we now have, the yeah. update electronics, and they can detect that you're there. Yeah. Uh, so they seem to be less for worry now than they used to be. Yeah. You, you seem like you know a pretty humble man, John, not someone who necessarily wants to be immortalised and have records uh, to your name, uh, you know, and that be... Your legacy. So I'm wondering, what was it like when you came back from one of your uh, extraordinary journeys, came back to, to WA and, and the Premier of the time declared uh, a public holiday, calling it John Sanders Day? How does that sit with you? Well, I knew there would be some boats out to meet me. Yeah. Because I've got friends. This was after you know, your, your, your double or your triple? I, both they of them. Call this, both all of them. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you don't expect, I mean, you seriously do not expect it. There's hundreds of them and you can't work out what's going on. And everyone asks, what's it like when you get ashore? And I says, well, it's so overwhelming you don't notice coming ashore. Yeah. Even though you're nearly tripped over. Yeah. I mean, and, and seeing all those people out and having a public holiday in your honour, that's yeah. not many people get to say they can I don't have, know, a, have a day oh, day off for you. I think the Premier, I think it was Richard Court, was it? Peter Darling, could be either. Uh, different occasions. Uh, it was popular at the they time. probably said yeah. <laughs> a political opportunity. Yeah. Uh, John, we need to take another break, but more of your incredible stories right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, the record-breaking sailor John Sanders is our special guest in this episode. John, we were just talking about uh, your uh, arrivals home and how celebrated they were. Um, your beloved old uh, trusty boat, 
um, that you did your triple in, I believe, is uh, is is still taking pride of place at the the Maritime Museum in yes, Fremantle. Do you ever pop in and and, and say good day to the old girl? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's You yeah. must have a special relationship with you. I know it's an inanimate object, uh, but you must have like a I a pretty unique bond with it. It's a massive compliment that they did it. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, Australia too came along, won the uh, America's Cup. Uh, they needed somewhere to house it. The Australian Prime Minister that had it then in the National Maritime allowed Richard Court to bring it to WA, so my boat was put alongside. So that was yeah. a massive privilege for yeah. me. Mm. Um, your most recent uh, trip, you were on board the, the Perry Banu 2. Yeah. Um, tell me about the, the name. Uh Perry Banu comes from the Tales of the Arabian Nights, mm. uh, Tales and One Nights. Uh, my mother named it. Right. She, would, she was a clergyman's daughter and uh, in uh, Christchurch. In fact, her father founded Christchurch Grammar School. Yeah. Um, and uh, she always wanted to have a horse because yeah. they're mostly pastorists in that area and all the daughters had horses. And she'd call it Perry Banu. Yeah. Well, that never happened, but eventually I got a boat, built a boat, and called it Perry Benu. And loved it so much you've... Still got it. And my brother has too. Named yes, another one Perry Benu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mentioned at the start, uh, John, you're you're into your 80s now. When are you going to stop and settle down? Uh, when I get too old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there any point, though, in the last, you know, however many years that you mm. thought, oh, I might have to just chill out and, and just, you know, keep my adventures a little bit uh, closer to home? Because I know you have had... Uh, fairly significant heart uh, operations over the years. Uh, yes, I have, but I seem to be able to get on my boat and so Mauritius three and a half thousand miles from here yeah. and so on, and I could do that right now in my boat. But I also don't have a driver's licence now because that right? that's expired <laughs> and I'm not game enough to go and do it. Uh, <laughs> it's extraordinary. Cannot, so you yeah. can sail around the world, but you're not allowed to. You can't drive a car down the road. Oh, well, I'm not allowed to. Not, yet, not, not and officially. I'm not game enough to go for it anyway. You're not going to go for it again. No. Why not? Well, I will board an, uh, an electric scooter. Have I'll you? try that. <laughs> I'm not even sure I'm game enough to ride that. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, you, you, you're one for taking on challenges, John. Get your driver's license. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose you're right. So, so what, what's next then? Uh, well, what's next? Well, uh, the slight worry I have is I'm only uh, a few hundred metres from Steve's Hotel in Edmund <laughs> and uh, a 10 minutes walk from Royal Perth Yacht Club. That's a bit tempting to walk one way and the other way and sometimes I think, well, I'd better go and do something more sensible and reasonable yeah. and something I can do. Yeah. Being me, of course, it'll be different from what anyone else does, mm. but what that is, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you do to pass your time when you're back on, on dry land? I seem to be pretty busy here. Uh, well, uh, back in WA, when I yep. say here, well, look where I am now, which is pleasant, actually. <laughs> I always, uh, when I get invited to something like this, I get worried. Yeah. You probably notice when I get in. And then after a while, I'm not at all. Mm. It must be your own charisma. <laughs> oh, stop it. Um, but, I mean, are you are you sitting there thinking, oh, I'd love to just jump on the boat and head off to here or there? You must have some favourite places that you think, I would uh, just love to take the, the Peribadoo to there one more time. I was looking at uh, the highway along the Murray River and I thought I wouldn't mind getting a little pop-up boat going from one end of the Murray River to the other. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Yeah. 
Um, of all the places around the world, all the many, many places that you've you've been to, um, what are some of the favourites for you? Or, and, and at the other end of the scale, places that you'd never wish oh, to go again? I can um, I can say where I like going because yep. like I like going to Rottnest, so it's only 12 <laughs> miles away, but I also like going to the British Virgin Islands in yep. the Caribbean. I'm used to that. Uh, and again, the other end of the field is Tahiti and the Society Islands in that area that is from Tahiti down to Bora Bora. But most of the place is pretty good. And when you say, which place wouldn't you go to? Well, the weird thing is people can ask you, where do you have your last best time? Mm. Or where do you have your best time? And the answer is, wherever it was you had best time, that could be in the slums or somewhere down some dark alley. Uh, that hasn't happened for a long, long time, mm. but it doesn't really matter what it's like. It's, mm. it's all an adventure, but as far as a destination, well, British Virgin Islands, but then it's a bit like going to New Zealand too yeah. for me. That's all right as well. Yeah. I suppose uh, when you talk about people who are well-travelled and, you know, you exceptionally well-travelled, yours is a, uh, a different view of the world, isn't it? Because you go into yes, places yes. via the ocean. Most people jump yeah. in a plane, go to sleep, wake yeah. up, they're there. Uh, you take a different approach. You must have a, a, a very unique perspective of of the world, having seen it from the water. Yeah, I do see it from the uh, water. The other day was interesting. I had a chap, and he only had a very, very slight uh, accent, who, uh, his English with a hint, and I asked him if he was Singaporean, and he wasn't. He was from Afghanistan. And he says, he'd been to Afghanistan, and I said, no, I haven't. It's too far away from the sea. Um, he... he must be a little bit different some way because I noticed he was driving his own car with a University WA sticker on it. Yeah. How do you go getting on a plane? Does it feel weird to you? Uh, no, a plane doesn't worry me, but there's a young guy who does a lot of sailing with me when I'm back sometimes. He doesn't like it. He freaks yeah. a bit. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't mind climbing heights, any height. Yeah. You prefer being on the water, though? Yeah. Yeah. On the deck. Good stuff. Well, John, what have we got to look forward to? I mean, you said after your 10th that, you know, that you might be done. You might be done with your round-the-world adventures. Uh, Here you are after 11. You're saying never say never. When No, never say never. Never say never. Uh, yeah, I've always said that. Um, <laughs> but last time I did say that, no, I wouldn't go because I thought it sounded silly if I did. Yeah. And this time everyone's saying, don't say you're not going to go. So I just say, well, it's probably very unlikely. Yeah. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, perhaps if I just go for a cruise down the coast and back, I'll think of something. I'm something sure you to will. Do. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you will. Well, we look forward to your uh, future endeavours, whatever they may be, John. And thank you so much for coming in and sharing uh, some of your many stories. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for being so pleasant. Oh, anytime. Anytime. I nice feel like host. we just scratched the surface. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks again. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR, this time uh, with John Sanders. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.